Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Let the festivities begin with a real five to seven foot Nordman Christmas tree for only £15. Home base feels good to be home while stocks last. Hi, I'm Jamie, head of broadcast at Gaystar News. I'm catching you at the start of this episode of Busy Being Black, because this week it's Digital Pride. It's the online movement created by Gaystar News. So even if you're from a country where being LGBTI is criminalised or leaves you in danger, it's a Pride Festival you can be part of from wherever you are in the world. This year, Digital Pride is tackling loneliness and isolation with articles, videos, and by connecting LGBTI people. If you're a regular listener to Busy Being Black, you'll know the show already talks about that all the time. It is a beautiful love letter to the queer Black community. We're particularly fans of the episode Mother of the Moon with Lady Phil. Check that out if you haven't already. And that's why we've included Busy Being Black on our Digital Pride LGBTI podcast collection as a show that is helping tackle loneliness in the global LGBTI community. So join us and Busy Being Black. Send this episode with the message, you are not alone, to a friend. Then ask them to pass it on. Let's see how long it takes for the message to get back to you. Digital Pride takes place on gaystarnews.com forward slash digital pride, April 29th to May 5th, 2019. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. These are conversations at our intersections and an opportunity for us to hear firsthand from others in our community how they have learned and are learning to thrive. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so lets others like us hear the voices amplified here. This conversation includes some strong and suggestive language. What do you think of when you think of fetish? What about BDSM or ball gags and rubber? From fisting to cosplay and everything in between, how we engage with our fetishes and our kinks is something my guest today thinks about a lot. Sandy Pianum is the brand director of Recon, a platform for men and their fetishes. And he's been on a journey over the past five years to help make Recon a more representative and inclusive platform for men of color. We discussed the moment the ball gag dropped and he realized the impact of his work, cleansing his sexual aura and fetish as an opportunity to connect socially with other men in ways that don't always end up in sex. I know, right? We talk about the ongoing conversations around consent, the central role that communication plays in fetish, and using our kinks as a way of understanding ourselves and exploring our capacity for intimacy. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm busy being black with Sandy Pianum. <laughs> You've got your breathy voice on. <laughs> See, I thought that I would um, replicate your voice because I'm very good at mimicking people. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here. I'm, um, I, I came across you or encountered you um, on social media, on Twitter. My interest was so piqued when I saw, oh my God, there's this queer black man who's the face of, of Recon. <laughs> what on earth? Like, I didn't even know that, that Recon was making 
these kind of moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, my, my personal view is that having you at, at, as the face of a, of a fetish brand like, like Recon is, is huge. It feels quite big. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for um, asking me to be a part of this, actually. I'm really, really, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm really, really happy to be here because um, it's been something that, I mean, talking about these issues is something that I've been going on about for um, on Recon for about, what, the last two years, especially. So, yeah, it is a bit odd that there is this kind of queer black man at the forefront of this fetish <laughs> brand, I suppose. But it's really interesting as well because there have been black men in our um in our office in our you know as part of the brand for ages um our events producer has been part of recon for 13 years now and he's um black from uh the bahamas um yeah so for for me it's really been the first place that i've worked and represented a brand where there is like a rich panoply of people which is really cool. Mm. Like my team is super diverse, mm. which I love. Um, and it was a complete accident for me to be the forefront and the face, I suppose. <laughs> Talk to me about how that happened. It was really after a trip to San Francisco in 2015, where um, we had a party as part of Folsom Street Fair. And that year we used a Japanese model as part of our promotional um, material. No big deal to me. I just thought, oh, this is a really hot guy. Let's put him in the ad. Whatever. I think his name is Yoshi Kawasaki. And what was really clear when we opened the doors is that all these Asian men turned up to our event. And it was a very noticeable difference to the, the mix of people that were there. I mean, you know the normal white people came along and it was completely fine. And I think people were kind of freaking out, like, you can't put this Japanese guy in your ad because, you know, you'll not get the same sort of audience. And I was kind of like, what What are you talking about? That's really odd. Like, stop it. Be quiet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, these Asian men turned up and I was on the door that night. So I saw everyone come through and this guy came over to me and said, can I come in? He was um, he was talking to me and he was Chinese. He kind of revealed to me that he was Chinese. And I said, yeah, of course. Like, what 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 gear are you wearing? Because that's kind of the one prerequisite of a recon party. You have to be in fetish gear, obviously. Mm. Um, and he showed me he had his little harness and he had a little jock on. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. And he said to me, give me five minutes and let me just go to the side. If I come back you'll let me in. And I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. I'm just, I'm thinking, what's going on here? Like, I don't understand. You know, I'm entertaining the line because the line is going down the street. No word of a lie. Five minutes later, the a car full of about 10 of his friends rock up to the front and they're all, you know, his friends of Chinese descent. Wow. Rocked up the door and basically they were waiting for permission for someone to let them in. You know, because they had never seen themselves in an ad before for a party like this. So for them, they just didn't even clock that they were allowed. And that made me feel really, really sad that this guy and his friends were all sitting at home in their gear already. Like, because you turn up to a party in your stuff already, normally. Um, And that really made me feel sad. It really genuinely made me feel sad and... I recognized at that point that I needed to put people of color in our ads and really focus on it because 
I looked at my team and I was like, well, you know, there are two black people sitting here. There's, you know, we've got Latino people here. We've got, we've got a good mix of people. We should be representing that as well. So yeah, and from that point onwards, I just kind of slowly slipped in my agenda, into the recon agenda <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I think I, the good thing about where I work is that I was, I've, I was given the opportunity to really talk about it a bit more. And then when we opened the platform up to kind of producing content and featuring the content on the app. So the app is basically where you can mi- meet other people that are into the same thing as you. But um, now we produce content, we do videos, we produce articles, and we get members to write stuff on our behalf as well, as well as um, featuring them in the videos as well. So it's really about telling people's stories, which I really enjoy now. There's so much of a conversation at the moment about the role that um, these social apps, I don't call them dating apps, that Mm -hmm. these social apps do and do not play. And so to, to know that at this intersection of desire and want and sexuality and expression and and fetish and sex and sweat and semen that that, that, <laughs> that that's actually where some of the most groundbreaking work in the queer social app space is actually happening yeah do you know what about five years ago i've been working for recon for five years now this is my sixth year actually when i first started there's no way that we could have been having these conversations like there's no way right people weren't ready for it people were not in the right frame of mind to accept certain things about from minorities saying that this is a thing, this is how I feel and you're having an impact on me acting this way. I've really had to kind of slowly do it rather than coming in hard and being like, this is the agenda and you're, you're gonna listen to me and it's- <laughs> You're all racist. Right, <laughs> ah, I hate everyone. No, I mean, I had to kind of slowly guide our members through it and then reach out to other influencers on the scene to kind of spread that message as well. And, you know, the only way that I could, the only way that I felt that the message could really go out there is if I kind of put myself at the forefront as well. Because it was happening to me. And if the face of Recon is kind of saying, or one of the faces I should say of Recon saying, you know, there's a kind of an issue here, then it's a really strong thing to kind of go out to the rest of the world to. and I was in a place my, for my personal growth and development that I could actually f- have those conversations as well in public. Because um, I don't think that I would have been brave enough to talk about it or be myself in such a way five years ago. And so where did that bravery come from? Oh, that's, quite, that's quite broad. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so, I should ask a more specific question. But No, I, yeah. think, I think it comes from, the majority of it comes from, honestly, seeing a therapist for the last three years. Um, I went through a really self-destructive phase, um, embroiling myself in the chemsex scene, really struggling with being, you know, this kind of, in this fetish kind of arena all the time. Um, Seeing firsthand, you know, when you put up an image of on Instagram about like a white person mm. in this gear versus when you put up an image of a black person, you know, all of those things were really playing on my mind. Mm. and. I was also trying to just navigate my own sexual identity life, you know, as a gay man mm. in London trying to do things. <laughs> Which is know. like a... <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to think about... Chaotic at best. Exactly. And then every single day you've got to think about other gay men's needs. I'm like, I have needs too. <laughs> but, um, so yeah. And I went to go see a therapist because a boyfriend of mine was just like, you need to go and kind of gave me an ultimatum, essentially. But it was the best thing I ever did 
because it made me understand how I work, how I think, how I feel, and as a consequence, how I vocalize certain things. Um, but yeah, and when once my brain was in a good space, then I could have those conversations with other people. And actually, sometimes it actually made me realize more the impact that someone or something was having on me. So for example, I think when I first started with Recon, I didn't even notice that I was the only, like one of, you know, a handful of black people on the scene. Mm -hmm. I really didn't pay attention to it because maybe I didn't really care. Mm -hmm. That I sounds really bad, but- No, no, we're, all, we're all on a journey. I, yeah, I, didn't, I don't think I really cared. I didn't really think about it. And maybe there was a part of me that also enjoyed being the token. <laughs> No, for real, because no, I hear you. <laughs> because the se the sexual gratification you get back from being, you know, exotic, yes, is very different to being one of many. So I kind of reaped the benefits of that, and I honestly didn't care. And then, as I kind of grew up <laughs> and um, surrounded myself with good people and had more experiences. I was like, oh, I don't feel comfortable being the token anymore. I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a flip side to that as well, because I think growing up, I didn't have or didn't see a lot of black, queer, gay people that I identified with. Well, actually, let's strike that. I didn't see a lot of black people that I identified with, like right. point blank. Yeah, period. never mind queer. Right, yeah. and then and then you're trying to find queer. It's like, yeah. girl, good no. luck, bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, as I kind of grew up, I kind of realized that oh, there's this person that I can identify with a little bit, and I'm not, you know, this idea or stereotype of what people want black people to be or see black be black people as. And I think as society has changed and being black and the richness of like a f like full black culture has kind of been exposed, I then too was very much like, oh, this is great. Mm -hmm. Like I can see, you know, this is gonna sound really, really silly, but like people like Pharrell Williams, I'm like, I can identify with that a little bit. And that's, as a kid, you're just trying to find little things that you mm. can identify with because and, and music is a really big thing for me. So I always use music um, icons as a way to kind of navigate through life. Mm. I could identify with someone like Pharrell Williams. I cannot identify with someone like 50 Cent, you know, right. <laughs> because that wasn't me. Yeah. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I was just like, oh, but that's not who mm. I am. So who, and I was being told by the black community as well that that's not how you should be as well. You know, why do you like that music? Because it's right. not this. Mm. Um, so yeah, there was a whole bunch of things in my head being mixed around and therapy kind of really helped me to cut through all of that and be like, okay, I think about, I think about this in this way because of this. And I think of this because of this. And it just gave me a lot of clarity, which then made me, it sounds so corny, but it's like that Zen moment where mm. you're like, okay, it's I can see now. Mm. And this is how I feel and I want to make a difference. And then after that San Francisco incident, I came back and we all came back to the office and we were just like, damn. Mm. That's a really powerful story. Yeah. It, 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 I still feel really sad about it today, actually. <laughs> like, it's just, his face was, 
it was heartbreaking. And they came to, um, so Folsom Street Fair, we also uh, had a booth during the fair. So the next day after our party, he comes over to say hello and we have a big banner of Yoshi and he's taking pictures and all of his friends are taking pictures <laughs> with, and they told other people to come and take the picture with the re, at the recon booth with Yoshi. It was crazy. It was so heartbreaking. And from that point, I'm not gonna lie, there's still a lot of work to do in terms of you know how representative recon is, but I really am trying my best and I make sure that my team understands. I'll tell you something funny that happened the other day, actually. <laughs> we do events around the world and we got um, pictures back from our Paris event. And one of my guys, um, who is white, put up the pictures. And obviously it's all subjective about what makes a good picture, or what doesn't make a good picture. Mm. And someone wrote in to say, this gallery that you've put up is very white, essentially. And I was like, I didn't pay, I hadn't paid attention to what photos have been put up. But I had to go through them and I was like, mm, I kind of see what he's saying. And he is, um, uh, I think he was Indian. I think he wrote in, cause yeah, actually no, I know that because I know exactly who, it, I know exactly who it is. When, <laughs> when the scene is so small, you get to know these characters. Right. So he was of a um, Indian descent and he went through the photos and obviously didn't see himself in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> The guy that basically put them up said to me, oh no, there's, you know, there's, there's people of color in this. And I'm like, in this gallery and went through and I was like, who do you think is the person of color in this? <laughs> and it's really interesting because the people that he was pointing out were, how can I say this? They were, uh, they were very like Mediterranean looking. Right, right. So all like Arabic and I had to explain to him, and I don't know if you feel this, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain. When I look at a photo, I have to kind of see like, it's like it's almost like there's a, there's a scale. <laughs> 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 there's a scale of like people of color. And I kind of feel like I have to see like nines and tens in order for me to really feel like, oh yeah, that's my, those are my people. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So he he was this Indian guy was basically saying that it was too pale for him <laughs> that it wasn't dark enough. Yeah. And I had to explain to this white guy like you have to take it from their point of view. Mm. Like he's looking at it like that's not that's still white to him yeah. in a sense because and I think that's more to do with white acceptance of what race is. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. And, and what counts as of color. Yes. Yeah. So he was sitting there And because like, we all know that the proximity to whiteness is something that has to be yeah. Yeah, considered. But I also feel like when I say the acceptance of it as well, it's almost like... So I just said about when a white person goes up on Instagram versus when a black person goes up yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. It's almost like it's acceptable to like, 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 like this Arabic Mediterranean looking man. Mm. It's acceptable to like, 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 like Latino and you know, all of those, like the Spanish flavor, mm, like that's really <laughs> cute. Yeah. But as soon as it's something else, it's like questionable or they have to be the perfect representation of what a human being is. <laughs> or they have to be the perfect representation of what they imagine that type of human being yes. should 
look like. Yes. I don't know why I'm mincing my words. No, it's my bloody podcast, I know, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, basically what I'm saying is that they have to be an Adonis in yeah. order to get the same amount as an average... Can I say an average white man? Of course you can. (laughs) (laughs) But that was one of the things that was really angering me because we made such beautiful content and, you know, it wasn't being liked or appreciated in the same way. And I I got really angry about it. it wasn't being liked and appreciated at the same scale. Yeah, you're right. Because I think part of this is... For those of us who have worked in these kind of media-led positions, obviously I was at Gay Times, mm-hmm. and I saw the same thing. You yeah. know, you posted a picture of a trans person or a black person, or particularly a black trans person, and I mean, a fraction of the likes as a cisgender woman, you know, any picture of her. Yeah. <laughs> Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Which is... And the scale of likes yeah. on those is, is remarkable. Um, and what I had trouble communicating to people was that like don't look at the likes right like it's not actually about the likes it's that the content exists it's that someone is going to come across this and they're going to feel represented which in and of itself is immeasurably valuable completely and that's the point that i'm at now where i'm like no we have to continue we have to keep on doing it and make sure i don't want to say like shove it down people's throats but like you just said make sure that it exists um and Another reason why I put myself at the forefront is because there's still not a lot of black people in the scene that kind in of the wanna, fetish scene. in the fetish scene mm. that want to come forward and talk about their fetish. Oh, I'm so glad you said this. <laughs> brings us because <laughs> that's the other thing. Mm, this brings us nicely onto black men and sex. I know, which is why I'm excited to have this conversation. It's so a lot of people write in and be like, "You haven't featured someone of color in a very long time." And I'm talking from our member base. Mm. And one of my prerequisites of highlighting, because we do a lot of like member videos or member content. Mm. One of my prerequisites is your profile has to not be torso shots, you know? Because I think it'd be really odd of me as a brand director to highlight a profile full of torsos (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't really put across the message about being proud and and it's not even and i'm not and it's not me to shame anyone or anything like that because everyone has to go through their stuff in order to get to a certain point where they can be that way but at the end of the day recon is a business as well like i have to be sensible and feature people that are able to talk out I think it'd be really weird to have like a blurred, blurred out picture of someone's face yeah. or something. Yeah, to anonymize the desire. Yeah, yeah. it would be weird. Um, and then it kind of reinforces that whole, you know, thought that fetish is bad and it's dirty and it's dank and it's, ugh, how dare you mm. think about doing that? Um, so <laughs> it's really difficult to cast anyone of color because a lot of, the people don't want to come forward and do that. Whereas I was like, okay, I'm brave enough to do it. Screw it. I'll right. do it. It's fine. Well, maybe not. Maybe brave. Uh, maybe people who don't do it aren't not brave. Yeah, that's true. Rather, you know, because we have to think about, I think this I think this fetish conversation and having you as the brand director and as of one of the faces of Recon is very interesting because fetish is not one of the quote-unquote palatable representations, palatable and accepted representations of black men. Yeah. And I find that so intriguing as I interrogate my own desire and my own kinks. Mm-hmm. What, 
the lack of openness that I have within myself or the lack of honesty I have within myself about what it is I am and I'm not into. Um, so yeah, so I think it's a very like com complex, this, this asking of people to, to, to step forward into this role is so complex, right? Because we don't, get, we don't get to be bareback, cum dump sluts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my favorite turn of phrase, by the way. <laughs> and also, <laughs> uh, you know, an activist. I'm not alluding to my own kinks here, but I'm just... <laughs> It's just the first thing that came to my mind. But, and also a public figure, yeah. and also a CEO, and also, yeah. and also, and also. Yeah. Um, it, it's very limited, there's a very limited um, space in which we're allowed to move as, as black men. Yeah, and I've always struggled with that. Mm. I've always struggled with the idea that I have to be a certain way because I'm black, or I have to do certain things because I'm black. And I just, it's not a case of like me being rebellious. I just, I've never really subscribed to that way of thinking. And I'm really glad that I've never subscribed to that way of thinking. Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily think that I'm braver than someone else. It's just that I don't really think about it. Right. In all honesty, I just don't think about those things mm. um, because I struggle not to be myself in situations. <laughs> I find it really difficult to, if someone were to say, Sandy, you're gonna you're gonna go to this thing and you have to behave a certain way, it's almost like as soon as you've said it, I'm gonna do the opposite. <laughs> That's just within my being. Yeah. I can't help but spirit. do my little Sandyisms and my mannerisms and I just can't. So when I moved into the fetish scene, I had this idea in my head that I had to be a certain way. And this was even before I'm even touching on being a black man in this scene. I'm just talking about as a person in this scene. You know, there are rules, there are regulations. You, well, not regulations, that sounds really strict. There are just, you know, there are certain disciplines that are associated with other fetishes that you're not supposed to do or you're, or it would be deemed as, it's not the way that it's done, mm. you know? But I've always struggled with the idea with like, well, we've done it this way for so many years, so oh. therefore we've got to do it this way. Yeah. I'm like, why? <laughs> I get really just like, why? I don't understand. And I want to understand. And then even when I do understand, I'm like, no, that's that's silly. Like, forget yeah. that, I'm not doing that. People also have like a really loose idea of what actually quote unquote works. Yeah, right. right? And I'm just like, <laughs> but it's about context as well for mm. me. It's like, <sighs> I'll use a music example again. I really struggle with someone who says, how can you not like the Beatles? Because I'm like, but wait. they're decidedly average. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I don't, I just don't, I just don't like them. But let's put ourselves in the context of when the Beatles were a thing. Right, it was the sixties. Still average, I even mean, in but, the context of the time. No, but I think in the context of the time, this was like a groundbreaking thing where people were not allowed to do certain things. There was a whole liberation thing. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna disagree with you on that one. Maybe. But I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna, just thinking of all the black people who were not as revered as the Beatles. I mean, but that's a whole music. different story, <laughs> my friend. Because yes, you're right, but. You know, I, I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I can't put myself in that time to feel that. Um, so I'm not going to subscribe to that culture. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think about it in that way. So maybe that's why it's been easier for me to kind of come forward with my, um, with my thoughts on it. And the thing is, I don't really feel like I share my sexual desires that much. 
But I think by proxy, people just associate fetish, someone wearing fetish gear with being very sexual. And that's not always the case. Okay, let's unpack that. So when I first started Recon, I was like a kid, a kid in the candy shop. I was just like, oh, there's all these mins and I want all of them. <laughs> mins. <laughs> mins. <laughs> um, because it is a very sexually charged environment. Mm. Um, but as we've evolved and grown and changed the way that our events work, actually they've become a lot more social. And what I really like is, my thing is rubber. I love being geared up in rubber with other people that are in rubber. It doesn't necessarily always equate to me having sex with someone in rubber at our events or even when I go out on the scene. Mm, interesting. Because I just like that social element where you're kind of finding your tribe. And I feel like every gay man is just trying to find their tribe. <sighs> and I don't necessarily need to end that with sex. <laughs> no, honestly, I don't. Which, no, I, I'm laughing <laughs> because it feels like that goes counter to <laughs> it does. everything we've ever learned. <laughs> it does. But that's at the moment, I'm cleansing my sexual aura at the moment. Not okay. on purpose, but I just... <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, it just so happens to be that way. Okay. I, what do you mean you're cleansing your sexual aura? I feel like I have had sexual encounters with people that I don't, that I've not wanted to, I've not wanted to have sexual encounters with. Oh. I mean, everyone's done that, right? I just thought I'm gonna have a trigger buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's done that, right? Mm, I think so. So I was getting really sick of this like vicious cycle of being like, I'm really horny, I'm gonna have sex, have sex with the nearest person, and then be like, oh, I didn't really wanna do that. Right. So, and I'm like, why? Why? Why am I doing that? I don't need to do that. Um, but I think it's also the culture of like a lot of the apps. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm going to take control of how I conduct myself on these apps. And I'm not going to say that I'm not going to do it tomorrow. Right. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to do that in two years time. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to do that in a month's time. But I just, it's about how it makes me feel. And I don't want to necessarily subscribe to that culture again. Mm. Um, but yeah. So there are so many places this conversation Sorry. could, could I've gone, go. I've gone, no, I've gone I like everywhere. it. I like <laughs> it. But my mind is kind of, it's racing all over the place. Because at once I want to talk like explicitly about maybe the racism you encounter or the sexual fetishization that you are dealing with, which mm -hmm. I think probably connects quite well to what you said earlier, um, rechem sex and um, things that you didn't like. But also I'm, at the same time, I'm very curious about having a conversation about fetish okay. explicitly. Okay. What do, you want, what do you want to know? I don't, well, because <laughs> <laughs> you, something, you said that you, I, I'm curious in this sex fetish as social, socializing. Okay. Which I, it doesn't compute in my head. Like, okay. so I understand the words. Yeah. But together, <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, understand them. No. Because I think maybe for me, fetish is sex. Yes. They're one and the same. Yes. Okay. Let's start with... And I know you probably didn't come here to give a fetish no. 101, but... By all means. Yeah, I don't get to have these conversations with no, people. No, let's do it. it. Um, okay, so so I think for some people, the fetish element is a lot about... No, actually, that's a big generalization. I won't say that. What I will say is that for some people, fetish is about gearing up and the materials that you wear. So leather, rubber, sports, all that kind of stuff. Um, bondage, it's about 
it's about when are you going to have the opportunity to in your real everyday life to wear that kind of mm. stuff um so some people are very and myself included this is where my head is at, at the moment that i just want to be around other people that are into the same thing as me right right um and it's a feeling of being part of something and being connected to something. Like I said before, it's about like finding your tribe. Mm. It's almost taking away that feeling of, oh, I'm a freak or I like something that's a bit odd because you're connecting with other people that are in the same boat as you. You know, to be, I mean, people do do it. They go out in public in their rubber and their leather and it's really cool. But to go out by yourself, I think is one thing. To go out as a group of you is a whole different feeling. Right, right. So, I mean, don't, I'm not gonna lie. That can lead to sex. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, there's a real camaraderie on the scene, on the fetish scene about, you know, Americans use it more, use this kind of terminology more so than um, Europeans do about you being my brother. You know, it's almost like I compare it to the drag scene. You know, you have a drag mother and you have a drag daughter. It's like that kind of bonding experience where you're my brother. You're, you know, I've got your back essentially. Wow. You wouldn't um, imagine that the fetish scene is like that. Oh, it's hugely like that. I'd imagine it was quite transactional. Oh, no. Right. No, 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 no. I mean, again, I will say it can lead to that. (laughs) And most probably there might be an agenda sometimes where (laughs) they want it to lead that way. But I feel that there's a huge sense of community. So my brain is so switched to that way of thinking that I just don't even, I don't understand when other people are like, see my rubber and they're like, oh my God, like that is the thing that they do. And they sexualize me Mm. (laughs) before I've even sexualized myself. (laughs) (laughs) Because putting on to rubber for me is like putting on underwear. Right. You know, it's not, I don't see it as a big deal. I like the feeling of it. I like, it it might make me move different. It might make me Mm. sit up. It might make me push my butt out a little bit. It just depends on my mood. Mm. (laughs) But it doesn't, I don't necessarily always just put it on and think, oh, I want to have sex straight away. That's not the feeling for me personally. For other people, it's a very, it is a very sexual thing and it's purely transactional. Um, You know, I'm at the moment trying to uh, put together the Fetish Week guide because we do a week-long event, which is a series of different parties every single night um, in July. And it's the 10-year anniversary of this event. Um, and I got recon members to basically feature in the promotional material. And a lot of people are saying, we're doing testimonials and all the video content is going to be like testimonials of people saying how great the the event is. (laughs) Um, But a lot of people are saying, you know, the social side is what I go here for and seeing my friends and, you know, the camaraderie and the connections. But there are a couple of people that's like, I don't go for that. That is not why I'm there for. Yeah, I'm there yeah. to, you know, have sex with as many people as I would like yeah. and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, okay. Yeah, cool. Like, cool, that's good for you. Um, I think it's other people's perception of what the fetish community and what fetish is actually. Um that leads them down that road of just like, oh, you must be having sex all the time. Right. And that's the thing I get actually a lot. 
people are always like, well, you're the brand director of Recon. You must have your pick of <laughs> your pick of trade. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. Um, yeah. I'm kind of tempted to ask what the conversation around consent is like mm-hmm. within the fetish community. So it's really tricky. And I don't think that we're having enough conversations mm. about that. Which is not to... I don't want that to come across as someone from the outside no. thinking a certain way about fetish, mm-hmm. but rather that if fetish is a space to explore boundaries and perhaps things that you might not necessarily feel comfortable doing yeah. um, in what might be your quote-unquote day-to-day life, yeah. um, that, then that conversation around consent, I imagine, becomes quite important. Yeah, Particularly for those of us who are used to being touched without consent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I... as as the recon guy, air quotes, recon guy, I get touched inappropriately all the time. And there's a part of me in my brain that thinks, oh, don't touch me. But then there's a part of me that's like, wait, I have to be nice because this this is my event. This is my, you know, whatever. And I, you know, get touched inappropriately all the time. Sometimes it's fine. And, 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 and to be honest, most of the time it's fine and I don't even think about it, which is a bad thing as well, <laughs> I think sometimes. But there's a, there's a lot of talk about like gear is not necessarily consent. Wearing gear doesn't necessarily mean that you have your consent, that I have consent to touch you, you have right. consent to touch me. Um, but I think there's also a really interesting conversation around if you're in a master dom, I mean master sub relationship, where does the consent stop? At what point, you know, even though you have safe words and all that kind of stuff, if someone's telling you and is in control of, you know, what you're doing, how do you take away consent? Um, I have to tell you a funny story. Go on. <laughs> I was with a guy um, and he, I was um, on my knees. Mm-hmm. And uh, he grabbed my neck and he said, I'm going to make you my slave. Um. <laughs> and I was like, mm. and I couldn't help but say, mm, for a number of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't going to happen. Not least um. because of 400 years. <laughs> <laughs> did you get, did I you went rise off. Up on your yeah, knees I, and... I got off my knees yeah. and I was like, don't ever say that. Yeah. And it was really triggering for me that, yeah. and so anyway, so I was just, that came into my head, but it was in retrospect, it was, it's funny, but at the time it was really triggering. And I thought, weird that you might ask I mean he was white but obviously but (laughs) (laughs) but I just would you feel more comfortable if it was a black person telling you that they were going to make you you their slave yeah definitely okay yeah I wouldn't have had a problem with that I don't Mm -hmm. think I don't like being dominated anyway but Mm -hmm. I also don't like being told what to do so Mm -hmm. that's probably not my scene but um yeah I found that really hard to deal with in, in the in the but funny in retrospect, because yeah. who actually says that with a dick in his mouth? I mean... 400 years. <laughs> you should have done. And then, like, recited eyes. <laughs> that would have been really cute. Um, yeah. So, hmm, this is really another great area, because I know that there are, on the scene, on the fetish scene, in the gay scene, there are people that really thrive on that kind of play mm. i had a, a a member chat with a couple of uh, two of our black members about race play and how that works because um it all started with someone messaging me um <laughs> messaging me on 
I think it was, I think it was, I've, I've had, well, I've definitely had messages on Recon, that's for sure. I've had messaging messages on other apps as well, where people have called me the N-word, where people have referred to me as slave, where people have referred to me as, in, in a, like, they've used, they've used kind of derogatory language mm-hmm. that makes me think, oh, you're going into that race category, which, yeah. Don't assume, that's the first thing. Don't assume that I'm going to be into that. Yeah, because that would also be a form of consent, right? Yes. Here's what I'm into. Yes. You, will you meet me at this place? Yes. Yeah. Don't just go straight in. Yeah, that's because... a black guy. He must be want to call a nigger. Mm, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's a boner killer. Yeah. So <laughs> I found it, I just find it really confusing when people do that. When people assume about anything, first of all, I'm like, mm, let's not. Let's not go down that route. But there are black men on the scene that really enjoy that. And I don't know. Personally, it's not my thing. Mm. And I don't know whether we should, we as a collective, the collective we should really be allowing this to happen. Mm. If I'm being honest, I don't know. Yeah, But at the same time, my thing is, if it floats your boat, then go for it. Well, I th- yeah, and, I, and it, you know, who are we to look at what someone else is into exactly. and to say that and to offer our opinion yeah. if it doesn't affect us? And I think this becomes interesting then because how do we, you know, if if fetish and if this scene is rooted in a desire, and we do know that sometimes desire is racialized, mm-hmm. and we do know that. Um, preferences do not exist in a vacuum and that people have very racialized ideas of what they find hot or what they do not find hot, then kind of this intersection of race and fetish can become a bit murky and, dare I say it, chaotic, dangerous. Oh, dangerous. It is chaotic. And and that's why I kind of... You're right. I don't mean dangerous (laughs) as in, but I mean... Maybe mentally Mental. or emotionally dangerous. For me, it was. Be, for me, it became very mentally and emotionally dangerous because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel about it. I I became. I I started to question every single sexual intention that someone had for me, mm. and I don't think that's healthy. Because I was thinking, now, are you saying this to me because you're into black guys? Are you saying this to me because you've you've never dated a black guy and you want to date a black guy or have sex with a black guy? Are you doing this because, you know, I've I've had people and you've probably had the same like where someone says you're really cute for a black guy. Oh God, I wrote about this, yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> it's not a compliment. No. Yeah. And. Then you start comparing yourself to other black men. I'm like, well, is he prettier than me? <laughs> I'm like, and I do this all the time. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. You can't tell the difference between me and him. And yeah. I'm like, he is this, 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 and I'm being very derogatory of that black person. I'm like, wait, hold up. Right. Stop it. Mm. Like, but it's just because I'm angry because they can't see the difference between me and, you know, Idris Elba. There's a clear difference between <laughs> the two of us. As much as I'd like to look like Idris Elba, I do not. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? And as a consequence, I 
just went down a route of, I don't care, I'm gonna numb my pain. And Oof. started just being like, give me all the drugs, give them all in my face. <laughs> and I won't care. And I'll put myself in environments where I don't care. And I'm still having sexual pleasure and exploring my sexual desires, but I don't care. Mm. I think that's a really important point, particularly, yeah, I think it's an important point, this numbing of ourselves. Because I, you know, I, I make no secret that I've struggled with you know, drugs and chemsex, because I think it's an important conversation to be able to have publicly. And I think it's important to acknowledge that this, this, this area of desire can be quite fraught, I think, for anyone. But for queer black people, I think it can be um, fraught. And for me, it certainly has been, you know. And I think sometimes I've wanted to be an object or I've allowed myself to be reduced to an object. Yeah. And sometimes that feels easier than pursuing something different. Does Come, that make sense? Oh my God, you're like preaching to my heart right now. <laughs> no, seriously, mm. it's it's so hard to navigate this complex landscape. And I'm not just talking about the fetish scene now, I'm talking about the gay scene. Mm. I thought that when I realized that myself, well, not realized that I was gay, I mean, look at me, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when, you, when you're coming to terms with that and you're mm. like, okay, fine. For a gay black man, for a queer black man, instantly, I think a lot of us kind of go, well, I've got to kind of like let go of this black side because this black side is not going to accept me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so you run to the gay side with arms open wide and they're like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second. We no. don't want you either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really difficult to kind of figure out where your alliance is supposed to lie. Like, you know, you're too gay for black people and too black for the gay people. Yeah. It's it's really difficult and really horrible. So a lot of us, I think, do numb ourselves to kind of just get through it. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have sex with this white guy because you know he really likes me, even though he probably just likes you know the next black man that's gonna come along as well. <laughs> There's that kind right. of feeling too. Yeah. Now on the on the fetish scene, there is, you know. There is a lot of uh, famous imagery, like Thomas Finland is one of those people that kind of drew black men in this very kind of like Adonis way or very um, dominant way. Yeah. And I get on on the scene, a lot of black men, I think, get this thing about like, we're going to beat you up and bash you into pulp and really dominate you and really like, that's the thing that they're going to get, that you're going to get. Or... And I get both of these things because I'm short, because I'm short and I'm black, that I'm going to be like the ultimate bottom right. and just like let everyone just have their way with me. Just like, uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to be like flipping my hair back and forth <laughs> and doing all those kind of like crazy things. Mm. Um, because because ultimately I'm, you know, black and short or I'm black and I'm going to dominate you. That's. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being the face of recon, I suppose. I'm going to put air quotes around the face of yeah, recon because yeah. <laughs> that makes me feel weird. <laughs> but they think that I'm, that fetish and kink is part of my everyday sexual exploration. And I'm like, no, sometimes I just want to cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things to unpack, unpack, sorry, and to think about. Um, because the, the the fetish scene 
is a niche part of the gay scene, mm. you know? And even gay people can't get their heads around the fetish scene as yeah. well. So you're battling a lot of people's different perceptions of wh- who you are, what you like to do, um, and it's difficult. What have you learned about yourself by exploring your fetishes? Hmm. Um, I've learned that I'm actually really easygoing and quite open-minded when it comes to stuff. And I've learned that if someone puts me in the right headspace, I could probably do just about anything. <laughs> I, oh God, how much do I want to reveal of myself? I would, I'll <laughs> screw it, it's fine. I was playing with a guy in Chicago and he put a hood on me, which uh, it was made of rubber and there was a lot of, I can't, I don't really know what the name of it is. Look at me, not knowing everything about fetish. See, we don't have to know everything. But it was a latex hood. um, So there was space for me to breathe. And it was just about taking deep breaths in and deep breaths out. And he did this to me a couple of times and you know, whenever I didn't want it on, he kind of, I motioned to him, I grabbed him and he took it off and it was very consensual, but it was actually really quite tender, which I think people think that it always has to be, or fetish always has to be like smacking you around right. and stuff like that. And it's very hard, but actually no, it was really soft. It was really tender. And when I kind of had enough, I maybe did this three or four times at a time. Um, I kind of had enough. And we sat there and he kind of grabbed my neck and really went for it and just and instantly I was submissive, which is hmm. hard for me to get into that space so quickly. But I was just like, boop, it's in, it's you go, let's in the do moment, it. Right. I was in the moment and I was just like, okay. And then, you know, that progressed on to water sports and lots of quite physical things like biting there was a little bit of punching going on wow um and i didn't really think that i would be into that but with him and what he was able to do and put me in that headspace i was just like oh and i finished i remember in the morning leaving and i was just thinking <laughs> in the back of my uber in my full rubber suit because it was after <laughs> it was after an event yeah. um I can't remember what event it was. I think we all went to the Jackhammer or something, which is a cool little uh, fetish club in Chicago. I remember sitting in the back of the Uber thinking, Lord Jesus, what just happened? Mm. Because that doesn't happen to me very often. And then I went back for more the next day. So. <laughs> did something right. Do you know what I mean? But it's, I think that I've learned that I can, I can do pretty much anything if I really, if someone else puts me in that headspace. And it's, and a lot of it, and I know that I'm in control of it. That's the thing. A lot of people mm. think that submissive, when you're submissive, that you have to, that someone else is like dominating you. And that's not the case. You, the submissive person is allowing you to dominate them. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I I hate it when I, I constantly get this thing of, oh, I'm because I'm short as well. It's like, I'm going to like, rape you and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. I'm like, mm, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, let's be yeah. real. Like, yeah. yeah, you can try and you can do all this stuff, but it's not going to go in and <laughs> we're not going to have this conversation later on because it's just not. Like, yeah. I'm going to... 
I always I have this running joke with my friends that I'm like, before I do anything like that, I need three months worth of bank statements. <laughs> I need to know your national insurance number. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, it doesn't work that way for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, exploring my fetishes has definitely made me feel like, oh, I can do anything. And in life as well, I realize as well, like, oh, okay, I can kind of do anything. If I put my mind to it, yeah, which like, sounds really corny again. No, but it doesn't. It's, it's, like, it's, it's also weirdly comforting <laughs> because I'm not sure that we're taught. I should speak for myself. <laughs> not sure I've ever been taught or explored agency within sex. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, Can I say that. Yeah, and so I think that my outlook on fetish is one of of what of, of what you were talking about, or certainly the way I've encountered fetish before has been one of domination and lack of control and it, all things that get my back up mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't like relinquishing control ever. I, I don't either. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm a control freak. Yeah, and if there's even a hint of it, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's very interesting. You've got me thinking about the agency that we have as sexual beings that we don't learn about. And I don't right? even know how I learned that. Maybe it's just... I don't know, because no one taught me that. That's really odd. I'd never really thought about it. Maybe it's just through my experiences, actually, mm. that I've been, I've, I have, I have experienced a lot and I've seen a lot. I'm a bit of a voyeur as well. That's the other thing. In Especially in a kind of fetish club scenario, mm. I'm a massive voyeur. Like, often, I'll just go into the dark room just to have a little look. Right. And it's not in a kind of tourist way. It's very <laughs> yeah, like oh, yeah, like oh, oh my cool. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's very much that that turns me on. Right. Um, and I learn a lot. I learn most of what I know and how I am through watching other people, and that's in life as well. I learn. You could show me like a you know a four count of a dance move and I'm like okay one two three and four five. but that's how I learn yeah. I watch people I listen and I like to and I can mimic very quickly so I think it's very clear who does things in the scene who who does things right and who does things things wrong you know you're it's very obvious um and when you hear people's stories about what they've done you're given a better indication as to how you should conduct yourself as well. So I think that's why, again, a lot of people enjoy the social side of the fetish scene as well, because it does give you that opportunity to talk to people and to further your understanding about what fetish is and what your own kinks are and how you can explore that. I don't know. No one really taught me about that, Mm. but maybe it's just through experience. Just get out there and experience some more. Yeah, I think the way I've approached sex has not been very, um, what am I trying to say? I think my approach to sex has been transactional mostly versus an exploration of intimacy. But yeah, also, right. But I'm also hearing that from your experiences, there is a great deal of intimacy within fetish as well, which I find very interesting. Because the other thing is, if you're going to give, you know, if you're going to be harsh with someone, it's almost like... um, if you're gonna do spanking, right? You spank, you hit, and then you've got to like rub that area. You've got to like give it some love, right? Because otherwise, you're not gonna be able to spank that person for much longer. You have to 
also there's a lot of checking in when you're doing certain practices you have to check in with that person to make sure they're okay like you just can't go wild and then be like you know you've been doing it for half an hour and be like oh girl are you still alive <laughs> like you can't do that <laughs> you have to constantly check in with them and say are you okay is this too much like and you and how you communicate communication is key so key in any kind of role play fetish mm. play kink play that you're doing oh fuck i just thought if you can't even talk to yourself how are you gonna talk to someone else life above <laughs> no and that's actually one of the things that wow. i wow. have learned about myself as well like i like to talk during sex like i and that was something that would be really like that's not a time for sex that's not a time for talking sorry mm. <laughs> you know but actually communicating what you would like someone to do to you is a really scary thing but in the scene you know it's part and parcel of that so opening yourself up to be like i want you to play with my nipples and that's a really scary thing but actually in that moment yeah that's what i want you to do so you better do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. um we're almost out of time and this, no, don't make me go back to the office. <laughs> <laughs> and this conversation it took a, I, it hasn't gone the way I thought it might. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to go this way either. Sorry. I feel <laughs> like to, I rambled. No, it's good. I didn't, I wasn't expecting fetish 101, but I really enjoyed it. No, I'm glad. And I hope you've enjoyed I've it. I've really enjoyed it. But it makes how I get to my last question really clunky. Okay, go. I ask all my guests the same question. What do you hope for? <laughs> <laughs> But because we haven't been on a very spiritual exploration of right. what it means to exist in the world, it feels a bit clunky. But I, I think the question is revealing. Ah, what do I hope for? Mm. I really hope that it comes to a point where as black people, I was going to say men, but as black people, we are, and this is going to sound really strong, but I do feel like sometimes we're not allowed to be certain things say certain things, be a certain way. And I hope that it just gets to a point, and I feel like it is getting to that point already, where it's just part and parcel of just life. Mm. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, we're allowed to be many things Yeah, just the, just the, just allow us to be. And I'm talking about that from both sides. Like, I'm talking about from our people. Like, just allow, like, I've walked down the street with a little Afro puff on my head, <laughs> and people be staring at me like, I am on crack. <laughs> And I'm like, just allow me, just let me, can I live yeah. for two seconds? Can you just let me live? And at the same time, you know, from other races as well, like, can you just allow us to be and just enjoy, you know, thriving in, can we just enjoy ourselves like mm. together and just let just get on with it? You know, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, the word, the this, I don't hope this doesn't sound weird. But you've made me feel like a liberatory sexuality is possible. Does that make sense? Oh, do you, really? Yeah, because I think this conversation, like I said, I, this our, uh, black men as sexual beings, mm. I think that we might recoil from embracing a sexual side publicly yeah. because it becomes so much of who we are then. Yeah. Right? It becomes... We are already kind of fetishized and objectified. Yeah. And it's something I'm very conscious of, you know, speaking about what I'm into and what I'm not into and blah, blah, blah. Um, but actually, I think this conversation has, has, has revealed there, there's actually 
a liberation within this, yeah, right? There is a there liberatory is. politics and fetish that is one of agency and choice and consent yeah. and an exploration of who we are and what we feel and, and what we're into and that and the pursuit of that I think is is liberatory completely being being a part of the fetish scene has kind of also empowered me to get to myself does that make sense yes i get that <laughs> i don't think well i may have taken a different path and become this person that i that you see here today but I don't know. I don't know if I would. I think I'd be very different. But I actually, this is the happiest that I've been. I'm 32 now. And this is the happiest that I've been. I would never want to go back to my 20s again. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel so much more empowered. I feel like this is how I'm supposed to be. And I just want other black, queer, whatever, however you want to identify yourself men, trans people, to kind of feel the same way. Sandy, thank you so much for being here. Thank I've you. really, really enjoyed this. I've enjoyed being <laughs> breathy on this microphone too. It's very good, isn't it? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy Pianum is the brand director for Recon, a platform for men into leather, rubber, BDSM, and kink. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. There are never enough hours in the day, especially at this time of year when nights grow long and to-do lists even longer. Perhaps the greatest gift you could give this year is time. Not time to do, but time to be. Those are the moments Mojave's are made for. So let someone special slide into our 100% wall-lined footwear and away from the fray and the fuss. Visit mojave's.com to browse our beautifully crafted range of slippers and give the gift of time well spent. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.